Cutthroat Season 2, here we go! Plus, Logan breaks it off with Big T and then maybe breaks a bone in his leg. Corey plots some revenge. Devin continues to run the game, but now doing so more publicly. We get the backstory and reasons behind Bettina and Priscilla's desire to win, and the whole house is green with envy over the Emerald team. But should they be? It's the challenge, Spies, Lies, and Allies, Episode 10 Recap, coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to The Challenge Historian, where we dive deep into all things MTV's The Challenge, past, present, or future, sometimes with these all-star seasons, a combination of the both. If it's happening in the Challenge universe, then we are here to document it. I am your host and dedicated Challenge Historian, Jacob Hollibaugh. Thank you so very, very, very much for being here with us today. It's a big, big podcast today. So, 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 so much to talk about. Episode 10 is in the books, and as we enter the second half of the season, we have entered a whole new game. Out with the partners, in with the teams. We've basically turned this from Double Agents 2 into Cutthroat 2, with a little twist added on at the end. This episode had so much, and that is on top of the absolute bomb that was dropped outside of season 37. That was the trailer for All-Stars season two, not just coming, but is damn near already here. The trailer drop, that season's coming in four weeks time, four weeks from tomorrow or today, whenever you're listening to this podcast, four weeks from Thursday, which means we will be double dipping on challenge. Goodness, oh my God, times they are good people, but Even with that big news and big announcement, even if it is coming sooner than expected, we need time to properly digest this All-Stars announcement in the cast, and we will, of course, break it all down for you very, very soon on its own complete podcast. Don't worry, we've got a lot of thoughts on it. But for today, it's all Spies, Lies, and Allies, episode 10, baby, because it was a great one, and we've got a lot to cover. Now, our agenda, as always, will be the following. First up, a Cliff Notes recap of everything that just went down. Second, we'll break down the whole episode through the lens of the main storyline. Third, we will check in on a couple little things that we noticed, aka the secondary storylines. Follow that up with an analysis of our sporting events, and finally, we will hand out some awards, update those power rankings, and give out one new prediction for the season moving forward. So much to get to, so little time. So if you are ready, I am ready. Spies, Lies, and Allies, episode 10. Let's go. We must begin where we always do with a quick Cliff Notes. I shouldn't even say quick. A Cliff Notes recap of everything that just went down. It's 90 minutes of action-packed. And I shouldn't say that either. It's like 65 minutes of action-packed content with all those commercials that MTV likes to do. But it's a lot that goes down. And this episode was no exception with so much new things happening. A lot of different storylines coming in and out. So, Cliff Notes recap as quickly as we can. But covering everything that happened plot-wise, storyline-wise in this episode. Episode 10 of Spies, Lies, and Alley. So, here we go. As quickly as we can. Three, two, one, and begin. Back in the house and confused. No more partners, maybe, but what would that mean? Corey doesn't know, but he knows this. He wants revenge, and his list is Kyle, Amanda, Ashley, in that order. CT and Tori chit-chat, and after throwing some shade at Amber, CT predicts it still pairs, and they will just be picking brand new partners the next day. Then the next day comes, and we learn about Bettina and Priscilla's reasons for playing the game. Bettina wanting to represent for the small-town girls with big dreams. Priscilla for her mom, who is a first-generation immigrant to the UK, taking care of a massive family that relies on her so much. Nighttime then comes, and that means cuddle time for Big T and Logan. 
Or does it? Big T is in love, love with Logan. Logan, turns out, is only in love with Big T and eventually would tell her so much. After, though, Big T gives him one heck of a bedtime story that we'll talk about later. Amanda then gets a call home to her son that's super sweet and emotional before we head off to the Daily Challenge to find out what this new format will be. At that challenge, TJ announces that they will not be in pairs any longer, but leaves it at that. They start the daily challenge as individuals, but then as they each finish the first portion of that challenge, they realize they get to pick a team to join. Three teams to form, Emerald, Sapphire, and Ruby, and excuse me, not teams, but cells. Sorry, I'll get my lingo up soon enough. Three cells to join. A lot of in-the-moment decision-making and strategizing leads to three new teams, I'm calling them teams, sorry, formed on the fly. Those new teams are Ruby, consisting of Emmy, Big T, Priscilla, Corey, Logan, and Kyle, Sapphire, consisting of CT, Nelson, Ed, Ashley, Amanda, and Bettina, and Emerald, consisting of Casey, Josh, Devin, Nani, Emmanuel, and Tori. If you would like to call them green, red, and blue, you can feel free to do so. I will likely be doing so myself. Those teams then compete in the second half of the daily where the Emerald team takes home the W and becomes the new version of an agency. Back at the house, Emerald team is feeling good. Sapphire team is feeling good. Ruby team is very much not feeling good. Clearly the bottom of the three teams and acting like it. Corey tries to boost morale, but Kyle, he ain't having it. His eyes are set on the green team. We go to nominations where Emerald are told they have to pick one female to go into the lair. Devin lets all the ladies in the room know that no one is safe, so plead your case, hoping to start some fights. Doesn't totally happen. Everyone says their piece, and they vote. Priscilla is chosen to go in the easy choice this stage of the game for the Emerald Squad. At the lair, TJ drops another piece of his game-changing format switching bomb by telling Priscilla she gets to pick who she goes against. She decides, I'm going all out. I'm going for the champ. I'm going for Ashley. They play Seek and Destroy, where they have to dig up eight colored tiles and put them on a pole. Once all eight are on that pole, they can go over, watch a color sequence, memorize it, come back and rearrange the tires into that right color sequence. First one done wins. From the start, Ashley uses her hands and her whole body to move sand around quick, find those tires, while Priscilla, in an attempt to save some energy for the long game, goes with her feet and legs. Ashley is much quicker and builds a lead that she never lets up. She gets all eight tires out of the sand before Priscilla even gets to her fifth, and with some help from her vet friends, gets the code in no time and takes home the win. Priscilla goes home, a solid rookie campaign from her. TJ caps off his full-on attack on the format of this game by telling Ashley, now she gets to pick which team she wants to rejoin, either rejoin or join. She decides she wants to stay with her bestie, Amanda. Ashley goes back to the Sapphire squad. Sell, okay, sorry. Sell, team, squad, whatever. She's back on the blue team, and that is where the episode ends. Wow. That was potentially our longest ever Cliff Notes recap, uh, but a lot happened, and there you go. That's everything that happened. So let's now rewind all the way back to the episode. Now that we've kind of refreshed on everything we just saw, let's talk about the main storyline of the episode and kind of talk through the whole episode through that lens, which would be this brand new format and brand new game. All right, so main storyline of the whole episode was there was a cliffhanger at the end of last episode. We don't think there's going to be pairs anymore. What's it going to be? What's the format going to be? We're at the halfway point or crossed into the second half of an 18-episode season. This is episode 10. So where are we going from here? That was the whole story, and a lot happened on that front. We got all the answers, or at least we think for now. Who knows? TJ could switch it all up again very much later on. But as we discussed on our Tuesday Review Preview Pod, we predicted it with the help of our friend Jake over at Challenge Edgic. 
we predicted that a little theory that had popped up that in last week's elimination, there it was, the Cutthroat logo, or a logo that looked very, very, very similar to the Season 20 Challenge Cutthroat logo. And then when it popped up again, in the next week on, in the preview of this episode that we just watched, on, on that board that they had to scratch away in the Daily Challenge. We'll talk more about that scratching later. Um, but Cutthroat logo twice there, two big clues. And we predicted correctly uh, that we were going to go for teams, not individuals, but teams. And TJ, specifically, he, you know, at first he kind of leads you towards the, it's going to be individuals by, you know, starting the Daily Challenge with, you will no longer be in pairs, but then he very, very curiously or specifically, however you want to look at it, left it at, we will not be playing in pairs. All right, get ready to start the challenge. And everyone, you know, they they play it up. They You could tell from the edit right away, at least those of us who even considering the ideas of teams, immediately I was like, oh, it's teams. Just look at what they're doing. We're setting up with all these confessionals. They all say, oh, my God, we're individuals. This is all I wanted. I want to be my own, you know, my own person in this game. I have my own back, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And you're like, oh, they're easily picking teams here any moment. And they do. They get to the halfway point of the challenge and find out right there in the middle, in the moment, as the challenge is going on, they've got to select new teams. And it is basically... Uh, a version of Cutthroat um, for those who maybe it's been has been a while that season. Um, man, when would that season have been? Cutthroat maybe like two thousand. I don't even know. I'm not even gonna guess. But season twenty, um, so two thousand eleven. I'm currently watching f- uh, deep dive on Fresh Meat two, which is season nineteen, which is in twenty ten. So yeah, twenty eleven. Here, <laughs> the historian coming through clutch with that. So back in twenty eleven, season twenty. Um, an iconic season of the challenge just for the simple fact that that was the challenge where the Bananas backpack happened, where CT came in as a mercenary and picked Johnny Bananas up and threw him into a trash can. Um, So everyone remembers the season pretty much just because that is the most famous moment in challenge history, if not one of the most famous moments in reality television history. Um, But it was a very good season. I don't know. I will at some point in the future do my kind of greatest seasons ever rankings. Put them all in order. I wouldn't have it quite, I don't think, in tier one best seasons ever, you know, in the top, top tier. Um, But definitely probably somewhere in tier two. It was a very good season. But the thing about it was it was one of the only seasons they've ever done a three-team format. The whole way through three teams where the winning team is safe and the losing team, um, you know, they could pick two people from one one from each one, however it was, but one person goes home at a time and teams end up being uh, different numbers from each other. And in that one, uh, kind of infamously, the finale, the final of Cutthroat was kind of, wasn't all that exciting because it got down to a red team that had like six or seven strong members all left. And there was the blue team that just had Jen and Emily Schramm left, which a great twosome, but when you're going up and you're doing a lot of, running and having to lift a bunch of stuff and do puzzles. You got seven people to do all of it versus two is not even close. And then you had the gray squad in the middle with like four, maybe four or five people uh, left. But anyways, that was the season. Brad and Tori on the red team got their win. Tyler Duckworth got his first uh, back-to-back wins. Um, Who else was on that team? Dunbar was on that team, I believe. There's another person or two. Apologies to whoever. I'm forgetting. But anyways, that was the one three-person team. They are now in three-person. So this is kind of similar to that cutthroat format, but 
as we'll get to in a moment with the little twist on the end that's still the double agents-esque or War of the Worlds 2-esque even now of when they had the turncoats then where you can pick which team you go back to when you win the elimination. But we're kind of playing cutthroat too. And the big question for me as I watched this, it was very entertaining to watch them in the moment have to figure out on the fly how do we pick these teams. Nelly T gets there first. He does this whole like prayer to the challenge gods and uh, whatnot. But he gets there. Josh gets there. And Corey gets there. And they decide, they all know here we're, we're picking teams and they all take their place on a different platform and say, we'll be the team leaders and try to recruit people as they come in. My big question was when I, when I talked about the possibility for it to be teams and predicted that it would be, my hope was really that there would be a draft, um, that they would somehow get to pick captains, whether they did some sort of challenge to pick those captains or CT just said, you, you, and you, whatever it was. I really would have loved to see a draft out of this, but the in the moment was still very entertaining and very fun and caused a lot of, you know, on the fly strategy, which leads to some fun moments for this uh, cast for sure. And the kind of question in the moment, and we'll get talk more about it later in awards for best and worst strategy. But there was kind of two strategies of thought that diverged very quickly as they assembled these teams. There was the initial one of Nelson Corey, first and third person there, and they immediately say, "No, we, you know, veteran savvy." I think Corey even says in one of his confessionals, "You know, like we ain't gonna do the rookie thing and partner up. We got to be on different teams, so we got some power in all the spots." They were pretty much the only one who thought along those lines at all everyone else for almost across the yeah pretty across the board went with where are my alliances at and where are the strongest players at and that is what I'm going off of and I'm not trying to split up my alliance in any sort of way and so Nelly and Corey really backfires on them by the end of it I mean Nelson's in a great spot his team we'll talk about the teams in a moment um is doing looking great Corey's not so much but they, they kind of diverge strategy-wise from everyone else. And I think everyone else had the proper strategy. I know they don't have a lot of time to think about it. They walk up, they're like, wait, there's three teams. Some people are already here. Who's coming behind me? Who's next? How many guys do you have? How many girls do you already have? How many more can we get? Whatever. But you got to, in that moment, be able to just stop and say, I, I don't have a lot of time to think this through. I just need to be on the best possible team. And for the most part, everyone tries to do that. And the other thing is you don't, you don't need to split your alliances up in this moment because even if you don't know the rest of the format, eventually you're just going to want to win challenges and you're just going to want to be safe on your own team. If someone is eventually from your team is going to have to go into elimination and possibly if your team ends up sucking, going into eliminations a bunch of times, you want to be safe within your own team as much as anything else. You can have any enemies you want everywhere else. You want to be safe in your own team in this in this version of the game. And so Nelly T and Corey, as we'll talk about in worst strategy, I think they're spoiler alert, a nominee for that because of that choice. We then get the teams, the teams all form CT is the big prize, the big one in the kind of middle of the early on kind of, he stands there, looks around, everyone's begging for him to come over. Uh, Casey gets a lot of love as she comes up. Ja, or uh, excuse me, Tori gets a lot of love as she comes up. Um, but the, Final teams are, there's a Ruby squad, which we will likely just say red for most of the time. That is Emmy, Big T, Priscilla, Corey, Logan, and Kyle. 
There's the Sapphire team, CT Nelson, Ed, Ashley, Amanda, Bettina, and the Emerald Squad, Casey, Josh, Devin, Nani, Emmanuel, Tori. And looking at these squads, just first glance, once the first time we kind of got to visualize them and then eventually got to a commercial break where I could kind of, I typed them all out and kind of tried to take it all in. The the Ruby team is, is fucked, like just through and through, especially with, by the end of the episode, Priscilla, uh, potentially their best female going home. Um, their team isn't really stacking up well with the other two. The other two teams, very interesting, very competitive with each other. You've kind of got the Sapphire squad, where I would say has the the definite edge on the male side of things. If we were just to split these teams up and say three teams of three males, three teams of three females, Sapphire would be the best team on the male side with CT, Nelson, and Ed. But on the female side, Emerald would definitely, in my mind, have the best team with Casey, Tori, and Nani. Um, with respect to all the other competitors. But overall, I really like what the Sapphire team put together here. It was kind of by accident that Nelson put it together in the end, but he was the first one, so we give him credit for that. But you've got the two champions uh, that are left, CT and Ashley. You've got pretty decent bonds between the team uh, with Ashley and Amanda kind of holding down the fort. Um, and then, you know, I kind of expect this is going to get a little ahead of myself, but I fully expect Corey at the first chance is going to try to go into elimination and swap out with Ed and try to get there with his boy Nelly T. But pretty much this is they have CT. And as CT said in the episode, they've got two workhorses in Nelson and Ed to do all the physical grunt work, CT and Ashley and Amanda to kind of handle all of the puzzles and the strategy and whatnot so they're they're looking they're they're we'll get to the power rankings later on but they would be the top team for me but pretty competitive between sapphire and emerald um once the challenge is over we go back to the house we see as we just kind of allude to emerald sapphire great morale ruby not so much um couple notes on then we get to the nominations we're still learning the rest of the format and we find out all right it's going to be one uh, individual eliminations uh female week male week alternating we assume we kind of knew that that was our biggest argument for why we thought it might be individuals and not teams is that with how many episodes are left they had to start doing one person going home at a time and not two um couple notes on the nominations they look really silly <laughs> sitting like that it was one of my favorite notes I went back and highlighted from this whole episode was just uh, the the nomination deliberation room looks looked really cool up until this episode before where it was this kind of like flying V and there's two people sitting at the head of it and everyone sitting in a big crowd like it looked pretty cool it was a really cool deliberation room now with six six and six it just the six that are in the agency just do not fit up in the spot where there used to be two now six of them and I just thought they looked hilarious and silly um, and also from the format perspective, a six-person vote or potentially a five-person vote or four-person, whatever it gets down to, um, can be really, really tricky. You've got to really have consensus within your team because with the six-person vote, it's, it's. I mean, you only need three votes to get someone to go in, really. You could tie 3-3 three, three if you get a split amongst your group, but this could be something where one burn vote or one person, you know, just saying... Uh, everyone's kind of throwing out this person, but that's my friend. So I'm going to vote over here. And suddenly it only takes two others or one other. If we get down to five or four people in a team that wins power, not a lot of people have to want you out to get you into that layer. It's basically what we're saying. So that's an interesting new wrinkle 
Um, and then we get to the layer itself. We learn Priscilla gets to pick her opponent. We'll talk a little more about who she actually picks and why later on. Um, but from the format perspective, we, we find out, yes, the agency votes one member of whoever's whatever sex is that week's elimination in. That person gets to pick, which adds yet another wrinkle and way more strategy on top of who would you actually want to throw in, knowing they could call someone out. And then once the elimination's over, we find out Ashley also gets to go back and pick her team. And as we mentioned earlier, gets to kind of continue doing the whole double agent pick the partner thing or a War of the Worlds turncoat, get to pick the switch to the other team style of thing. And what we believe, I mean, it was quick and then she ended up picking her, you know, staying with her own team. So I guess we don't know 100%, 100% for sure. But what pretty clearly I think TJ said is if she were to have picked the red team where she just eliminated someone from, she would just go to that team and their team would be back to six and the Sapphire would be down to five and there we go. If she would have picked the Emerald team, however, it sounded like she would get to replace someone. And I wonder, the only thing we don't know about the format is if the person who wins the elimination picks the the agency team or just picks the team uh, that, that no one has gone home from because, um, you know, there could be, a, you could pick your own, partner to go against so it could end up with two sapphire people down there in the layer together whatever but is it then if she if ashley would have picked the emerald team does ashley get to pick which female she's replacing and bumping over to sapphire or does emerald get to vote amongst themselves and set and decide all right ashley's coming here one of the three of us has to go who's going that is the only wrinkle we don't know moving forward but I'm looking forward to finding out because, as we mentioned earlier, definitely think um, all of Team Ruby at some point is going to want to get into another team. Um, we'll talk about it in predictions, but uh, very much likely that we see a lot of the Ruby team members who know their team just doesn't really stack up competitively and none of them like each other. All their alliances are kind of on the other teams. They're just kind of the outcast team. I could very much see them right away saying, you know what? I'll go into elimination. I would love to join, you know, in Kyle's instance, that Emerald team. In Corey's instance, that Sapphire team. I could even see next week the way they've set up Corey and Kyle going at each other a little bit. Maybe the two of them decide, hey, let's both go in. One of us will send the other home. The other one will get to pick the team we actually want to be on. So could see that happening but moving forward um the strategy wise things get very very interesting with all of these wrinkles it's not just now you're in your teams that's fun you just you you want to be the team that wins clearly it has put even more onus on you want to win where before when it was the pairs some of you know you saw some people saying you know i don't even ct wasn't even loving the fact that he won a time or two because he didn't want the power he didn't want to get blood on his hands he wanted to float stay in the back and he felt safe with so many numbers this that and the other the winning the daily challenge now takes a lot more precedence to just keep you yourself safe but you are still open to then having a player from your team swapped in or out and it makes it really interesting who you want to throw into the layer. Do you just want to throw in someone that you want to get out, but they get to pick who they go against? So, you you know, now if any of the guys in the house, if Devin and Josh, who we've heard a couple episodes ago, say we don't want to run a final against CT, Emerald gets another win. Do they say, all right, we throw in CT, but then CT gets to pick who he goes against. 
and he's just gonna pick the weakest guy out there or see what the game is and pick you know his best chance to beat person which is anyone in the house probably if we're talking ct in this hypothetical but it's gonna make who they pick very very interesting who you pick to go against are people gonna be like priscilla and take big shots big swings or are they gonna take the route of who's you know the who do i perceive as the weakest the or if it looks like it's a puzzle the kind of dumbest or whatever to go against are they going to try to go for the layup route are they going to try to take big shots and then who's going to switch teams and again how does the switching teams work if the person gets to pick who they kick off or does the team get to pick who they kick off because if it's the person that adds even so much power to winning that elimination to be able to go in and totally shake up a new team uh, versus that team itself you know likely most of these people are going to be if they're joining a new team probably doing it to join some members of their alliance who might be on the same page of them like if you join this person's out but could definitely see a you know um let's say josh gets thrown in there and or devin actually maybe is a better one gets thrown in there and decides, you know, hey, Josh is kind of with Casey, and Casey has Nani and Emmanuel, and I don't really feel like I'm actually that high up the rankings of my teams. Maybe I've made a bad choice. Maybe I need to be over with CT, and I'm going to go in, and I'm not going to bump Ed out. I'm going to bump Nelson out because I think Ed can be on my side, whatever, versus that team maybe says get the rookie out of here, and Nelson has some sway being friends with Ashley and Amanda. Who knows? So a lot of strategy to uh, look forward to going forward a very confusing game i i like this format in general i don't love the 100 percent format switch halfway through the season can't say i'm a huge huge fan of that i do long for the old days where episode one minute one of episode one tj comes out and says this is the game we're playing these are the rules this is the money that you can win in the end and that's it no big twist or anything uh going forward I always because kind of was a fan of that. I get it for the drama and the intrigue and everything that this version does have a lot of pros to it. So I will enjoy it. Cutthroat season two. I'm just calling the rest of the season cutthroat season two. No more spies, lies, and allies. We're in cutthroat season two moving forward. So that was your main storyline. That was kind of a look at the whole episode. Now let's move into just a couple little small things that we noticed, aka our secondary storylines. Few little things that we noticed. We'll make this part pretty quick here. We went pretty long on that main story, but four, excuse me, four things to discuss. First one is Logan. Logan has himself a little episode here on the side. We get a couple different stories with him. First one is he breaks up with Big T, which um, was just, I, I hate to say any sort of kind of pseudo breakup. I don't know that they were dating, dating, you know, or anything like that, but some little showman's breakup of sorts that Big T definitely seemed pretty, you know, pretty infatuated with this guy. You don't you don't want to say it's hilarious, but what we saw of it, the the pool scene of starts with Josh and Logan and Josh being like, oh, so, you know, how's Big T? How was last night? So all you guys were, you know, in bed together. And Logan basically doesn't respond. <laughs> it is just like, oh, yeah, that that situation. I've got to. I've got to break a girl's heart, you know, type of type of thing. You can just see it on his face. He's like, I care about this girl, but I don't care about it that way. And I got to tell her. And yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that great, Josh. Thanks for asking. Uh, but then we get the last night, the kind of flashback in the story that Big T is telling Logan 
is so funny. We only get little bits of it, but something about a queen choosing uh, some other guy or another guy choosing a girl to be his queen, but then the girl was actually his mom, so he gouges his eyes out and blood's everywhere, and Logan is just looking horrified the whole time. Big T's sailing this. Big T's got the biggest smile on her face the whole time. She's like, this is the greatest bedtime story in the world. And then at the very end, she's like, oh, I've got plenty more of these stories, and Logan... I think that was the moment, you know, I'm sure we don't see very much of what actually goes down in this house. So I'm sure there was a lot more that led up to Logan letting Big T eventually know, hey, I love you, but I love you as a friend. And I don't want to continue this, uh, the the sexual part of this if uh, if my heart's not in it. I want to I want I don't want to do that to you. I think that was the moment he realized I've got to I've got to get out of this. I can't take these bedtime stories that. That was just hilarious, uh, that story. I would love I would love Big T if she could maybe share on her Instagram or something the, the full story. We only got little snippets of it. I would love to hear the full story that she told Logan that night. But then Logan, a second little storyline in the he's the last one, the last last male, uh, potentially the last one overall, because again, the way they edit these kind of hard to tell. No, I think he got there before then the last two or three females that had to do the scratching, which we'll come back to again. Because goddamn the scratching. But uh, last guy standing out before to come pick a team. And as he finally gets his code, gets into his safe, and he's running, and in the confessional he says he feels or hears a crack in his leg, which a crack in your leg is pretty extreme. So uh, he jogs it out. He says, you know, I'm going to finish this. And then the only other mention of it is a little bit later on at when uh, Corey tries to kind of pump Team Ruby up. At the bar, he says, you know, we got to get this one right. We got to get him 100% because he's a big part of this team. So they allude to he's let some people know my leg's not 100%, but a crack in the leg. I mean, what what the hell happened? Um, is he hurt? Is he, is he going to get sent home next episode because he can't compete? Is he, you know, going to hurt himself further competing? Is he totally fine? Um, we don't know. So that's something to be on the lookout moving forward is maybe Logan might not be around a whole lot longer um, because of that injury, which would be a huge bummer because he's been so awesome as a rookie this season, having such a great season. And we moved him all the way up to second in our power rankings, the male power rankings last week because we felt so high on him getting to a final, competing in a final. So that's one. Uh, Another little thing we saw, Tori Manuel didn't happen yet, but they are on the same team now. So while my prediction from Tuesday for this episode that we would see those two's little romance blossom didn't come to fruition, I'm still holding out that that will come to fruition soon. And maybe now it'll be a celebratory. Oh, our team won today. We're all having fun at the bar and... Hey, that guy's dancing all good. And, you know, I, th- I th- still think we're going to see that sometime. Then the third little thing that we noticed, uh, I think that's the third, maybe even the fourth time this season that this has happened. But Tori and CT, that alliance might be the strongest and the most powerful, just given the stature of those two competitors in the whole house. Because for the third or fourth time this season, we see immediately after a challenge or immediately after some sort of legit shakeup in the game, Tori and CT go to a room or to out by the pool or just somewhere away from everyone else and have a little powwow that they're kind of the first one they each go to and they always kind of do it outside the view of anyone else. Um, It has been very much a quiet, but it's been enough times now that it just feels like those two kind of look at each other as I would assume this is all just conjecture, but I would assume they look at each other as, you know, we, 
we have a good relationship from they won a final together back on War of the Worlds 2. I, I know I always say Tori won a final when she didn't, but essentially her team, she got cut at the last moment, couldn't get through the puzzle quicker than D. Um, but they they won a final together essentially on War of the Worlds 2. Um, they seem to have ha always had a good relationship, never had any drama with each other, but I think they now both look at each other as, you know, if I was predicting all season long, if, if the stayed pairs that those two were going to try to link up for the final challenge and get that win together. Um, but it seems like they definitely view each other as, you know, their top alliance uh, on the op on the opposite sex and just their kind of top dog in the house that they want to be close with, working with and whatnot. Um, straight shots at Amber from CT, which was interesting that they kept that in there. Um, that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, anyways, the fourth and final thing is then the Amanda Ashley love fest, the edit between them. Seems like Ashley maybe took Nelson's comments last week in deliberation as kind of ridiculous as they were. Maybe she took them to heart or thought, you know, maybe she thought, I have no idea how, in the moment how this is going to be edited. Maybe they're going to take what Nelson said and run with it and make me look like this horrible friend who didn't help Amanda out when she kind of sacrificed herself for me, blah, 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 whatever. But she hams it up this episode. And it's, it's all genuine. Those two love each other. They are best friends, seem to be in real life. So it was all genuine, but it was also, you could be genuine and also ham it up at the same time. And Ashley was hamming up the, you know, Amanda was on the front line. She's a hero. She's a single mom. I love her so much. I'm take, I want to take help take care of her, this, that, and the other, which again, all genuine, all great, loved it, but it was just over and over and over. It was like, all right, calm down. We get it. We get it. You guys, you guys are the best of friends. And Amanda is super duper impressive with everything she's doing in the real world off of this show. So um, loved seeing all of that. The only, the one part of it that was kind of the most, the funniest to me is Ashley definitely in the confessional kind of tried to spin it a little bit like she was going in for Amanda on Amanda's behalf when she had just gotten chosen to go into the lair. It wasn't like, uh, I'm going to choose Amanda. No, I'll step up. I'll take that spot the way Amanda more or less did for Ashley back on Final Reckoning and that Nelson did for Corey, you know, on Total Madness. She kind of tried to spit it a little bit. I noticed it. I noticed it. it was in good on you, Ashley. You know, always, always, you know, you got to play the game. You got to play the television game, the, the the TV game of this. But uh, I love the love fest between those two. They're both wonderful. Glad to have them together on this season. Those were the secondary storylines. Let's now move into the sports segment. Let's analyze. Let's put our Sports Center anchor jacket on here and walk through the daily challenge and the elimination from a sports angle. First up of our two sporting events, got our full classic episode, house, daily challenge, house, nominations, elimination. Love it when we get the classic set up. So we had our daily challenge, we had elimination. Let's talk the daily challenge first. Uh, and first comment on the daily challenge. I do not like when the people have to do different things. I understand that, you know, they start off... I don't know what this thing was called. Um, we'll get to later. I don't have a lot of notes on the daily challenge itself um, because of the whole switching of the teams and that just kind of taking up all the brain space. But I know that the first segment, they got to sprint out, find a sledgehammer in this pile of rubble, and then go over and choose one of three puzzle-esque options to solve a code, get a gem, and run to the picking team's station, as it would be. And 
I get that, you know, there's got to be something that the run part has to matter, the finding the sledgehammer, and then you get the advantage of picking which of the three games you want to do to make it to the next segment. But I just don't love when it's not a fair, not, when not everyone has to do the same thing. Because um, even if you give it that, like, everyone does the same thing up until a point and then it's your choice and so you can build an advantage or a disadvantage, whatever. I, I want them to do the same thing the whole way through. Um, it definitely, definitely, definitely seemed like the scratching was clearly way harder than the other two by a freaking mile. One, because fuck the scratching. Like, I cannot say this enough. The, cha- the, the challenge producers, they make these people do some crazy shit from time to time. Every season, they make them look super stupid by doing simple trivia that they all get wrong. They make them eat disgusting, disgusting things, sometimes disgusting amounts of disgusting things multiple times in a season. They make them put football pads on and run head on into each other. They make them wrestle in the mud, all all this crazy, wild, sometimes horrible stuff. They make them stay up all night just holding a car battery in their hands for freaking 12 straight out, all this crazy stuff. Nothing they do comes anywhere near when they make people scratch paint off of something. It is freaking horrifying. I can't imagine the worst the worst one of this. They've done it a few times. I don't even remember the bad historian of me which season it was. Um somewhere in the in the late 20s, maybe early 30s, but they they put like teams in a in a box, in a in a glass box that was all blacked out and the team had to scratch the wall, the paint off the walls to get uh, to be able to see and find a code and get out of this dark box. And everyone on it was complaining about how much it hurt and how the sound was horrible and it was so painful. And and they likened it to torture. And that's the only thing I can like this to. Scratching paint off of something is literal torture. I it, it's, it's horrifying. It's by far, if I was on this show, it is the one thing I'd be like, nah, dude, I'm not doing it. You can throw me into elimination. I'm it, That is just so painful and so so horrible and maybe i'm being a big baby about it but i don't care i would much rather eat some ram testicle i'd much rather stay up all night holding a car battery i'd much rather i wouldn't much rather have to put on shoulder pads and run into ct but if it was someone else i would much rather put on the shoulder pads and take my chances running through a hall whatever fuck the scratching but that one definitely looked a lot harder than the other two um it played out that way in a big big way it didn't seem like there was a big time difference between people finding and getting to choose the game but there's a huge time difference in how long it took the people doing the scratching to get through so that sucks um and then we get to the you know they get to pick the teams and honestly I was thinking so much about the new teams that I can't even tell you what happened in the second part of the daily challenge I took, I pulled the word count, I took over 1,200 words of notes for this episode, and the only single thing of all 1,200 that words that I even wrote down for the second half of the Daily Challenge was, one note said, when Worlds Collide song drop was dope, which it was dope, um, and then wrote down, Devin found a loophole, question mark, which, yeah, Devin, uh, they he put the rocks on top of the thing and lowered it, which I think was the whole point in the end, but then they still had to put more rocks inside. I don't know what the hell happened. All I was thinking about was these new teams trying to figure out, wait, who's on whose teams now? Can you put those pictures back up there? I don't even care who wins this anymore. So Daily Challenge was great for the simple fact that getting to pick the teams mid-Daily Challenge. The rest of it, 
I I can I can leave. Uh, don't don't totally need. Not even going to give it an official rating because it didn't feel like a, a you know had that extra. The the drafting of the teams was the real element of it. The challenge itself wasn't even that big of an element. So on from that into the elimination, which was a wonderful sporting event. The game itself. Very solid. I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. A good, but not great. I kind of look at 8 to 10 as that great territory. Um, So 7.5, the top of the good territory. I really, really liked it. They had to dig around in the sand, find 8 tires, bring them up, uh, put the tires on a pull once all the tires were there. Go over and watch a color sequence that went out of order. Just showed you the colors in whatever order it was supposed to be. Go back over, rearrange the tires. Really, really liked it. A lot of a long physical endurance challenge with a puzzle at the end, but a relatively a puzzle that's both simple but could easily, if you make a mistake, it would cost you a good amount of time because if you get one wrong and it's you know it's the third and fourth tire are the one thing you got wrong you got to take six tires off and then put six tires back on to correct that. And that takes a decent amount of time. So really liked all parts of it. Um, Main comment on the actual gameplay itself, Priscilla strategy wise, just what was she thinking? She goes in with the, I'm going to use my legs strategy and Ashley goes with the classic and the correct strategy with, I'm going to use my hands because that's a lot faster. Um, I think, and I, I don't know if it was just a sympathy confessional. It was a, Amanda, no, maybe Tori says, you know, Priscilla trying to save some energy to not gas out is going with the legs. But it looked like she literally used the legs the entire, entire time, which bad strategy for two reasons. One, it is slower. Um, just it's it's a lot slower to try to push with your legs. You also then are using your arms as your base where you're, all your weight is pushing off of versus when you're moving with your hands what Ashley did was very smart was she dug her feet in the ground and pushed forward and used her whole lower body like she was doing one big squat of the stand to push the sand over and across and off so it's just much more effective but then the second reason is you're not just trying to move the sand you're trying to find where the tire is in the ground And with your feet, you're not going to notice if you touch that tire nearly the same as if you just dig your hand way down in there. And Ashley, on multiple of them, was was not even starting by moving. She was doing the very smart thing of, all right, I'm at this pile. I kind of got this little circumference of area that it could be. I'm going to kind of dig my hands in and feel, oh, there's a tire. Could I just pull it straight out? No, okay, I'll push a little off, but I know exactly where I'm trying to push off, and then I'll pull it out. So all around much better strategy from Ashley, bad strategy from Priscilla, was bummed to see that. Um, As always, I would love to know how long this took, uh, just because I always want to know how long these eliminations take, but also in this one specifically to know if how secure Ashley's lead may or may not have been, um, because, you know, she was basically two, sometimes three tires ahead. She quickly got out to five to two, and then when she got her eighth tire, Priscilla is just getting her fifth. And so two to three tires, does it take, did it take them one minute to get two tires out? Did it take them 10 minutes to get two tires out? You know, was, was Ashley's lead, you know, was a comeback possible or was it like, oh, she's two tires ahead, dude. That's, you know, it, it took her 12 minutes to get the last two tires out. So she's way, way, way ahead. She can take her time with this puzzle. So I would have, as always, I would love to know what the actual time of this took. And then, Finally, Ashley shedding some demons, 
one in four in elimination since her win on final reckoning. So in her first four seasons, she makes two finals. She gets two wins, invasion, final reckoning. And then the next four seasons, War of the World, one, two, total madness, double agents coming in to this one. She was one in four in eliminations. Her only win in that time coming versus Nani in War of the Worlds, two. She, she kind of infamously last season on double agents lost two eliminations, lost the first one, gets sent packing, but then comes back in as an injury replacement for Natalie and immediately gets thrown in and loses again. So as she says in the lair, uh, you know, she had some demons exercise and she did. So that's great. Lovely to see. And we say our goodbyes to Priscilla. Another rookie gone. Another stellar rookie campaign. Another real great positive impact. Uh, The thing that's going to be tough coming out of the season is going to be that all these rookies went home so quickly but all of them, even in sometimes brief, either brief time on the show or brief time in the spotlight on the show, which Priscilla is a little more, you know, wasn't totally involved all that much first three, four episodes. It feels like we got three or four real solid episodes of Priscilla content here. So many of them made a good impact in a small amount of time. That it's like, how do we, you know, there's was, there was 19 of you or whatever. We want to bring 13 of you back, but like we can't because we have to bring in a bunch more rookies and there's all these other lovely vets and everything. And so... Um, would love to see Priscilla back. Um, interested to see if we will. Same as we're interested to see all of all of these rookies that are making their mark. It's uh, very. It's going to be very very tough casting. It's a good problem to have to have a lot of quality people to cast. But really enjoyed Priscilla. Um, really thought uh, she did did well. Handled herself well. Had the strategy side of the game down. Thought everyone loved her. She looked great on the screen. Was lovely to listen to talk. Love those UK accents all around. Always have. Always probably will on the show. And we'll see if you know Big T and Kyle are kind of the only UK representatives of many that they've cycled through that they've brought back over and over. We'll see if Priscilla could potentially join them um, and continue a little UK alliance in the future. But we say our goodbyes to her and we say our goodbyes to the sports segment and move into our awards. So let's go hand out some hardware. All right, five awards to hand out. As always, best strategy, worst strategy, best quote, best moment, and MVP. So we start with the best strategy. Three nominees. First nominee is Devin uh, Seems to be getting nominated almost every every episode this season. He is playing a very good strategic game and is also just very clearly, uh, as we ref- referenced in the intro of this episode, is being a little more public with how much he's kind of running the game from a strategic level at this point, which is a reason you could almost say maybe worse strategy for how public he was about you know his whole spiel he gives in a nomination room. But ultimately, very good strategy to say, come right in and say, you know, our team talked and we have no idea. So everyone's on the table. Everyone has to plead their case. Everyone should talk to try to get as much information to come out as possible to try, as he said, to get them to fight and to pick some arguments. Uh, Good strategy all around by him. And uh, we'll then go ahead and just say uh, nominee number two is the Emerald team as a whole. Just a solid... uh, the proper pick, the proper pick in the situation they found themselves in when you kind of are slowly but surely getting more and more of the, the bits and pieces of the format, the new format that you're playing under. You don't know exactly how everything's going to work. That is not the time to take the shot and try to take out you know, your number one threat to beat you in a final or your number one enemy that you're trying to get revenge on or whatever. It is definitely was just a safe pick for them to say, hey, 
we're going with a rookie. We're going with the team that did the worst and is kind of already in shambles. And the it's the rookie that kind of ruffled a bunch of feathers of the vets. So we're we're not necessarily saying we're sticking with this whole vet alliance even now that we're in these three teams. But for the time being, we're just kind of going with the safest. No one's going to get super upset about this pick. Even Priscilla herself, they kind of knew was going to be pretty cordial about it. So Emerald team as a whole, nominee number two. Nominee number one was Devin. Nominee number three is Ed, who I really, really liked and was very impressed with in the moment. Ed was the first one to walk up to the the three platforms and realize we're picking teams and to stop and say, you know what? I'm going to, one, think about this, and two, maybe wait for another person or two to show up and pick their team because when he comes up, I think he was the fourth person, Josh is on one, Nelson's on one, Corey's on one. And Nelson right away is like, Ed, Ed, right here, come on. You come with me, Ed, right here. And Ed's like, you know what? I want to wait. I want to see. I want another person or two to show up. I want to see where these teams start to fall. And also, I just kind of want to think about it. I just got here. Um, and so he does, you know, he kind of by default ends up on Nelson's team anyways. Um, he lets a couple people come and forget who all gets there. I know, I think Devin comes and picks Josh's team first, but eventually he picks the he picks the right team because uh, as we alluded to earlier, I think he's on the best team um, and picking that team made it also easy for CT to look and say, they've got the one thing I want, two guys that can bring the strength and endurance. I'll bring the puzzles. Do I have females that I like working with? And so they get the big, the number... Sorry, Devin. The number one draft pick, CT, uh, picks their team in part because Ed was on there and he saw, I only got one rookie, but it's one I like and I could work well with and could be the one. On. So regardless, Ed, good strategy. And because Devin's already won and a team victory is not that cool, I'm going to go with Ed gets the actual win for best strategy of this episode. So great job, Ed. Good on you. Um, we're our bias is coming through and through more and more of every episode. We just absolutely, we, by we, I mean, I just absolutely adore Ed and everything about Ed. So he gets the best strategy. Let's talk worst strategy then. Three nominees there as well. First one we talked about earlier, so we don't got to go in depth here. Corey and Nelson, the splitting up shouldn't have done it. I, I like that in the moment they're the first ones there and they, they don't know how this whole thing's going to shake out. And I like that, you know, I would have at least had that thought too. That is the right thought to have is, do we stay together? Or do we split up? And splitting up, there's the idea of, yeah, let's let's you know keep power amongst all the teams, but it didn't go their way. Everyone else went the other way and went with, let's keep alliances together. And while well, help Nelson in the end, Corey's now on the outs. Maybe Corey can find himself on their team, but I, they're nominated for worst strategy just because that really backfired poorly on them. Uh, second nominee, Tori. Tori uh, was, I think, the maybe the most interesting pick of any of the teams. She went with the Emerald team, and at the time that she picked, it was because De- she said it was because Devin and Casey. Now she has been working with Devin, but prior to this, uh, it was known Devin, CT, Tori, Kyle, and Ed. I w- they kind of lumped in Ed, but it was really of the vets wise. Tori, CT, Devin, and Kyle were all on the same page. And Tori, to my knowledge, doesn't seem to have anything wrong with Casey or any of the Big Brother folks, but wasn't necessarily on their side. And of the three teams that were kind of laid out last week, I would have thought that the Big Brother 
group would have been the third of three choices for Tori of where she would want to be. And she kind of had the opportunity to either be with Corey and be kind of on the Corey Nelson crew on the Ruby or on the the Sapphire one where Nelson was and where Ed, her former partner, was and where CT was. Um, and so maybe this was a, her and CT wanting, you know, secretly doing the Corey Nelson, let's keep ourselves split up. But she goes on Emerald, and I just, I think it was a missed opportunity because now, as we talked about earlier, we do think on the female half, the Emerald team has the edge with Casey and Tori, the kind of kind of consensus top two physical competitors on the female side. But on the male side, I think the Sapphire team has the edge. And I think Tori missed a huge opportunity here to create just a dominant team. They had, at the time, CT, Nelson, and Ed, and Ashley were all up there, available, and Tori could have joined that crew, and regardless of who then would have shaken out, if it's still Bettina, whoever would have ended up being as their sixth person, that would have been a monster team, and I think she made the wrong call. We'll see how things play out, but mostly she's just at the bottom of the totem pole, kind of unbeknownst to her, I think her and Devin are going to both find quickly that they just joined a team with Josh and Casey. They're ride or die together. And Casey is Nani, or obviously ride or die. And Nani and Josh, even without the Casey connection, also former partners at times, uh, really like each other. And then Emmanuel coming in as like their one rookie that they've got that's been with Casey the whole time and will do anything she says. So those four really t- really tight and I feel like Tori and Devin are going to kind of be the two trying to do something different from the other four on their team and Tori could have avoided that um so I think she got the worst strategy she was the most kind of confusing pick for me that I would have thought it would have been obvious that she was going to go on the blue team and then Priscilla is our third and final nominee for worst strategy just pick Amanda over Ashley I I hate saying this because I love 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 Amanda and I'm so glad that she's back on the show and everything that was said, singing her praises all throughout the episode by Ashley and anyone else, deserved, deserved, deserved. I mean, she she is a hero in real life. She's an amazing person and mom, and I love, 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 love her on the show. And it's no shots, no shade. But if I'm in Priscilla's shoes and I look up and say, well, I don't want to pick Bettina or Big T because those are my best friends in this house. I'm riding with them all the way. I can't pick anyone on the Emerald team. That just leaves Amanda and Ashley pretty much is who she is picking between. And I lo- while I applaud the I'm going for the champ, I'm going for the big one, I'm, I picked. I kind of picked a fight with you earlier, I might as well end it. Absolutely applaud that. Absolutely think that is awesome. And hats off to Priscilla for doing that. It is better TV. It is better entertainment. But sometimes, more often than not, good strategy is often bad TV. And people on this show have to weigh, do I want to make good TV or do I want to try to get further in this game, even if it is a boring method? But with respect to Amanda, if I'm Priscilla standing down there and it's kind of coming down to, am I going for Ashley or Amanda? That's kind of who I'm left with based on my alliances. I'm I'm just going to pick Amanda and try to go with what I would say is a little bit easier of an opponent than the two-time champ, even given Ashley's recent struggles in eliminations. Uh, I just think there was a more balanced matchup versus Amanda. I would have picked her. So Priscilla, third nominee for worst strategy. And Corey Nelson, Tori, Priscilla, I'm giving the award to Corey and Nelson. 
mostly, again, it, it just turned out to be really bad strategy. It wasn't, the idea of it was pretty sound and pretty good going in. It just completely and utterly backfired when everyone else went the other way. So Corey Nelson, worst strategy. Now, let's talk quotes. Two, three, four, five, six nominees for best quote. And we will just start off by saying, this could just be a Kyle-only section. There was easily five or six different quotes from Kyle in confessionals. He dominated the confessionals on this episode, and we easily could have just picked five or six of his, um, which we've picked multiple of his in past episodes. It's pretty easy to do almost every episode. He's so, so, so good in the confessionals, and just in the moment, every, everything that comes out of his mouth is gold. Love, love, love Kyle. Gotta have him on the show every single season, but... Uh, we, tr- we limited it to only two submissions from Kyle to give some room for some other people. So six total nominees in order of when they happened in the show. First one is Logan describing uh, his, his conundrum with Big T and how horny she is versus how horny he is, or how much horny he was. So let's let Logan explain the situation and the end of the situation with Big T. Yeah. I only want a little bit of honey, and she wants all the honey. No more kisses, no more cuddlings. So no, no more. What a way to explain the friend zone. Unbelievable stuff by Logan. Then we have Priscilla, nominee number two, who at the beginning of the Daily Challenge explains to us that running, maybe not her favorite thing. So let's hear from Priscilla. I don't like running unless my life depends on it, unless it's for money. And guess what? I gotta do both of those things in this game right now. Then we have CT explaining his decision-making process when walking up to those platforms, seeing we've got to pick a team, everyone's hollering for me, everyone wants me, what am I going to do? And he looks and he sees something that he cannot pass up in Nelly T and Ed. So let's hear CT's decision-making process on that. I see Corey with Emmy and Priscilla. Too many rookies for me. But then I look in the middle and I see... Two brand new sports cars, Nelly and Ed, right? Look at them all shiny and new. Look at these workhorses. Oh, all right. Sound strategy, and as always, great sound bite. So then we've got our two nominees from Kyle again. Could have been six or seven. Limited it to two. The first one, both have to do, almost all of his confessionals had to do with the teams and just him making fun of himself and the teams and everyone uh, and which teams they were on. So we'll listen to them back to back. First one we picked of his was explaining what the only weakness the Emerald Squad had. And then second up, we'll play right after it, his desire to be on Team Emerald. So take it away, Kyle. Two different nominees for Quote of the Week here the Emerald Squad. They have literally everything. They don't have a weakness. Their only weakness is if you say something mean to Josh and he ends up crying for half an hour. Ruby! Ruby for life! Ruby forever! Ruby in my heart! I love Ruby! God, I wish I was on Team Emerald. (laughs) Just... The savagery uh, that Josh has faced this season in the quotes. I feel like he's not only been in the worst strategy segment multiple times uh, this season, but he's also been at the brunt end of a lot of quote of the week nominees this season. Um, And something mean to Josh and he ends up crying for a half hour. Kyle, uh, can't love you. 
Can't love you anymore, Kyle. Our final nominee, our sixth and final one, then is Devin. And basically is his entire little monologue, both in the moment and in confessional. They kind of played them over explaining to the women in the room that he needed to see some verbal fighting. So take it away, Devin. So ladies, you're all on the chopping block. We've deliberated before entering the chamber and listen to me when I tell you, our mind is not made up. This is your time to legitimately plead your case. I want to hear their reasons for why they shouldn't go in. I want them to throw someone under the bus. I want to create a little bit of chaos. If you have something to say, say it now, or do not be surprised when your ass is down there tonight. You guys start fighting, please. Those are the six nominees, and because he dominated the episode so thoroughly in this category, as much as I want to give this award to Logan for I only want a little bit of horny, she wants all the horny, I've got to give it to Kyle, and of his two, we will go with his savagery towards Josh. The Emerald Squad, they have literally everything. They don't have a weakness. Their only weakness is if you say something mean to Josh and he ends up crying for half an hour. Love it, love it, love it. That is your winner of Quote of the Week. Then we'll move to Best Moment. Five nominees here as well. Bettina Priscilla talking their reasons for being there. That was a lovely, lovely scene. Two rookies that we haven't gotten nearly enough of. Love getting to finally get some more from Bettina early in the season. It was like, are they editing this woman out? Why are we literally seeing none of her in an episode or two early on? We've slowly got a little bit more and a little bit more. Now we find out, you know, she's a small town girl from Sweden, has these big aspirations. She's, you know, out there to prove to the small town folks that, you know, you can dream big, you can do a lot of stuff. Myself, coming from a very small town, really, really appreciates this sentiment, loves this sentiment and really warmed me up even more to Bettina. I've loved everything we've gotten from her. I still think she's nearly batting a 1,000 with when she's on the screen, even if it's been pretty limited this season. Because of those limits, every time she's been on the screen, I've either smiled or laughed or both. Um, so this added to that. Priscilla talking about her mother and her mother's backstories, her whole family story, all that was wonderful. That whole moment was wonderful. As mentioned earlier, nominee number two is the story Big T tells Logan. Uh, just, I need to know that's that story in full. I hope, I hope Big T will put that out to the world sometime soon. Uh, number number three was the picking of the teams. That was definitely, you know, kind of the, the build, the whole cliffhanger buildup was to that moment of individual team. And then once his team's picking them, that whole moment was great. Then we get a very small moment, the smallest moment we've maybe nominated the whole season for best moment, but it was one I noticed and I loved and was so small that I was like, I don't know that anyone else would even notice this, so I want to make sure I pointed it out. And that was immediately after the daily challenge. They come back to the house. Everyone walks into the kitchen. We get a brief, I don't know, maybe 12 seconds of people walking into the kitchen and someone saying something or whatever. But kind of in the background of the scene, uh, Nelson goes over to Josh and daps him up. They do a little handshake, a little, little bro hug, you know, the one hand, bring it in, tap the shoulder. And they kind of smile, nod at each other. And the moment Nelson turns around, he goes from what must have been a very fake smile to just immediately once he's out, he's turned enough to be no longer face in the view of Josh. Just boom to the stoic stone face like, oh, I can't believe I just dapped that guy up type of face. And I just loved everything about it clearly. Um, you know, playing the political game, Nelly T out there, like I'm friends with everyone, but also I don't, I don't rock with you. I don't like your, you and your alliance or whatever. So 
there was a very, very small little moment, but I saw it and I was like, mm, I, love, I love everything about that. Um, and then finally, Amanda Ashley, the love fest for each other in and after the elimination. We talked a bunch about it before. Those are your five nominees for best moment. Patina Priscilla talking reasons for being there. The story Big T tells Logan, the picking of the teams, Nelson's totally fake dap up of Josh in the Ashley Amanda love fest. I've got to give the best moment of the episode to that story Big T tells Logan. It, it was just so funny and the whole splitting that with Logan and Josh's conversation while playing pool, everything about that. Um, again, with love for both of these people, and especially Big T. I don't want to see anyone get their feelings hurt or lose out on a romance that they were really, really into, but that that whole scene was amazing and hilarious. And then finally, we got MVP of the episode. Four nominees, Kyle's nominee number one. Just, wow. I mean, the confessionals, we don't have to talk anymore about it, but there, I could have just done all of the quote of the week with just him, but amazing stuff from Kyle there. Um, CT, Nominee number two also got a couple votes for MVP. He was on the ballots for sure. A quiet MVP-like uh, uh, episode for CT. Just asserting himself more and more. Clearly being the one there everyone wanted on their team. There was only one consensus person pretty much. Maybe two. Casey was also very consensus. Um, but CT was clearly the prize. Um, and he just kind of is asserting himself a little more, willing to be a little more open, again, with that kind of amber shade that he was throwing out there, and just, I think, now sitting in a great position after this episode. So he got a couple votes, but really came down to Priscilla, who was our third nominee, had a fantastic episode. We learned a bunch more about her. She got a lot of time and a lot of shine in the spotlight, and even if she did lose the elimination in the end, this episode was very much, you know, centered. If it was centered around any one person in the house, it was her as much as anyone. But the winner, the other person t- kind of tied co-equal to that, that this was centered around was Ashley. She, first off, she gets, she was the first one to get the scratching section of the Daily Challenge done. And God bless her for that. And again, fuck the scratching then she, you know, she picked the right team. It was a very good selection on her part of picking the right team in the moment. She handled getting called in well, which is big for her. Not always what you would expect from her getting called out into an elimination. Um, she pumped up her best friend the whole episode. Long spoke lovingly and glowingly of her. And then she kind of got that elimination monkey off her back. She exercised those demons, got the elimination win. So Ashley easily, hands down, is the MVP of this episode. So... Those are your awards. Let's then move in to our final segment. Let's talk about some power rankings and add to our predictions for the rest of the season before getting out of here. And we ended with our power rankings, our power rankings that for the first time we posted on Instagram last week and became very, very controversial. So um, there is some movement in them. We'll post them again this week and see uh, if we're a little more in line with consensus out there or we're still a little bit on an island of our own on some of our opinions here. But uh, we we moved last week with the expectation that this was becoming an individual game because back when we did, we didn't have our theory and our prediction for teams back when we did the recap immediately after the episode that came later. So we moved it to individual power rankings and male rankings and female rankings, and we're going to keep it that moving forward we will also just say from the team perspective sapphire emerald ruby that's my ranking of the three teams as we referenced earlier i go would go against what the house or you know what the edit of the house's opinions would have us thinking that the emerald team is the some unbeatable unbelievable team i think the sapphire team is better um overall 
not by a lot, but by a little. Ruby team's definitely in third. Um, but on the individual power rankings, we're going to do a male, we're going to do a female list, uh, nine and eight, respectively, on those lists now with one less female in the house. Um, and again, this the later in the season we go, these power rankings will be based on who I think is going to win or has the best shot of winning. But right now, it's kind of a 50-50 split between Half of it is weighted towards who I think will make a final or has the best chance to make the final, and then about half weighted towards who has the best chance to win the final. So still about 50-50 split here. The later in the season we go, the more that weight goes towards who has the best chance of winning the whole thing and not just making the final. But making the final is still a big part of this. Um, Let's start with the males. I think last week we started with females. This week we'll start with the males. Top spot. No surprises here. CT, um, I think the way the team shook out, he's in a good spot. I think that, again, I don't think anyone's as much as Devin and Josh are going to want him to go home and not want to see him in a final. And even a Corey and Nelson even, you know, feel the same way. I don't know who's going to who's going to beat him in an elimination. I don't know who's going to throw him into the elimination, knowing now that he gets to pick who he goes against. So. I don't know. I, I feel like he's going to go end up in elimination because there's. it would be really, really dumb if they went the whole time without trying to take him out. But I don't know who's going to take him out. CT, number one. I'm putting Devin at number two, um, mostly because I just – one of my season-long predictions is Devin's not going to see an elimination. And as much as I think he – is kind of on the bottom of that Emerald team. I don't think he's going to see an elimination still. I feel like he's going to, he's, he's just too much kind of controlling the game. Um, and he's going to kind of skate his way, uh, play a perfect strategic political social game all the way to a finals appearance. Um, so he's in my number two spot. Nelson's in my third spot, almost entirely off of, I just think he's in a really good spot on the teams with, you know, Corey probably being the one that tries to get over onto his team. Um, and with his team having Ed, the one rookie there, as you know, on the male days, if they're not in power, um, potentially having that rookie as the kind of sacrificial lamb next to him. He also has a decent uh, relationship with CT on his team. They ran that final versus each other in Invasion. Um, so Nelson third, Emmanuel fourth. I like the team he ended up on. And I do think that on that team, because of the way it shook out, um, I don't. I think they could win a decent amount of the dailies, and he could avoid the layer that way. And I just think that he's not. He's not. He's not as high on my list of the people that are either going to want to go into elimination to switch teams or get called out by someone else going into the elimination. So he moves up, and especially he's one that I think. Maybe his odds in the elimination might not be as high um, versus as many people in the house as others. If he gets to that final, I feel like that run we've seen he's fast, but I also think he might have the endurance side of this. So if he can get to that final, I think he's got a really, really good shot of performing really well in a final. So he's number four. Josh is number five, mostly because I think uh, he just ended up on the the right team. Um, I think he's going to get called out. To go into elimination, I could see him being the one vet that anyone else is like, if I'm going to go against someone, I want to go against him. He doesn't have a great elimination record. Um, But he's number five, Ed number six, Corey seven, Kyle eight, Logan nine. Logan goes from two to nine, by far the biggest drop. And that's simply because it seems it sounds like he's injured. And if he's not, he's on 
the you know the worst team and is the rookie and it's a guy's week next week and uh, I just feel like he might end up seeing a bunch more eliminations than I thought a week ago and he might not even be he might be injured um, so he's at the bottom I think Kyle Corey are right behind him just because again of that team they're on just the the Ruby team's last place on the male side pretty much is where we ended up there on the female side we're going with Casey at the top Amanda two Tori three Nani four Ashley five. Big T, six. I wrote Big T down twice here. Made a, made a mistake somewhere along the lines. It won, at Big T, Emmy, six, seven. Bettina, eight. Um, the reason behind most of this is pretty much Casey's at the very top um, because I think she's comp- physically, her and Tori are kind of, you know, the class of the remaining females, and she is in the best position of those between her and Tori is in a really, really good position as far as what team she is on and the power she's going to have within that team. I think Amanda comes in number two, edging out Tori, because I think Amanda is in a perfect spot to, similar to what we said with Devin, to just make it to the final without seeing an elimination at any point. I could see her getting called out, because as I said with on the Priscilla strategy thing, I think she is going to be viewed with this uh, pretty impressive crop of females left. I think Amanda could be viewed as, um, as for the other rookie females that are left, as the vet they would want to go against, a, a little bit smaller um, or not as physically imposing as some of the other vets that they could be picking from. But I think she's in a really good spot, going to walk to a final. Amanda's two, Tori's three. And only reason Tori even drops from two or even one is, again, because I think she chose the wrong team. And I think... She's just not as solid on the team that she's on. So a little crack in the armor there for her. But third spot, 94, Ashley 5, Big T, Emmy, Bettina, 6, 7, 8. Could have been in any order. Mostly just feel like those are going to be the three that are chosen, either voted to go into the elimination or maybe want to go in elimination. It feels like Emmy might quickly be like, I want to be back with Uncle CT on his team, so I'll go in again. Um, or chosen uh, for as the one that are going to go down. So just think they're going to end up in there multiple times um, if they were to win the first one that they go into. So that's your power ranking. CT and Casey holding down the top spot. Then for predictions, we are now making, we'll be making our 11th. We've made 10 season-long predictions so far. We'll quickly run through them. I'm calling two of them wins now at this point. Our very first one was Tori would have five plus partners. She had four. Would We knew she was about to have a fifth, and then... We switch from partners to teams. I'm counting the team as a fifth. I'm giving myself a win on that one. I think that one counts. I know it's a technicality. I know it doesn't. It shouldn't fully count, but I'm saying it counts. Same thing with uh, later on. We made a CT is going to be picked as a partner two plus times. He was also same scenario, about to be picked for the second time. Everyone wants him. He's on a new team. He's gonna. People are gonna come to his team because of him. So. I get that one right, too. Fessy, first vet targeted. We got that one wrong. CT is going to win. Still in play. Also still correct. Devin will make it further than Josh. Still in play. Ed will make the final. Still in play. Anissa will make the final. We got that one wrong. That is the only one so far we have totally gotten wrong. Josh and Amber will not make the final. Half of that is right. Half of that still in play. We will not see any more DQs for injury or fighting. Uh, Logan's making us question whether we might get that one wrong, but still in play for now. And then Dev, last week we said Devin will not see an elimination unless a rule or purge forces everyone to do so. But um, otherwise, Devin will not see an elimination. Still in play, looking good so far. 
are going to add one more new one, an 11th to our season-long predictions. So far, we've got two right, one wrong, the rest still in play. The new one we're adding is the Ruby team is the cast-offs team. Everyone wants off it, and I'm saying two-plus Ruby team members will volunteer for elimination in hopes of making the switch. I think the first one's going to happen next week. I think Corey or Kyle, one of the two of them, is immediately going to say, I'll go in and get that switch um, or try to get that switch. So two-plus Ruby team members will volunteer for elimination to make the switch. That is our new prediction, and that is all for this action-packed episode of Spies, Lies, and Allies. Episode 10 is in the books. We've entered the second half. We've entered a brand-new game, Cutthroat 2, essentially. We're in for a wild ride. I'm still standing firmly behind this. This is a very good season so far. It's not one of the greats, um, but we only get a few of those, one every once in a while. We haven't had one in quite in a good while, but more on that in another day, another podcast, but been a good season so far, and this is just kicking it up into another gear, and as we've been saying all season long, for once, uh, kind of backwards of regular challenge seasons, we could see the back half and the final third be the most entertaining, the most exciting of the whole season, when usually it's kind of when things aren't quite as suspenseful or fun or entertaining. I think we could be in for a great back half and great last third of the season, so make sure if you agree with me, if you're going to keep watching the show, which you should obviously continue watching the challenge, you should never, no matter even if you think this season sucks, never give up because these these seasons change so much season to season. We've got All-Stars coming. We will talk a lot about that in the weeks to come. As we mentioned at early on, we will do we will be doing All-Star podcasts. We will cover that show the same. We'll just up our amount for three, four weeks when they overlap, and we'll have multiple recaps going each week. We'll do a big break, breakdown of the cast and a preview podcast here in the next week or two leading into that. So all that's coming. Make sure you are subscribed, following wherever you're listening. Spotify, hit the follow button. Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Rate, review. Those help us a lot and help more people be able to find us. Follow us on Instagram at Challenge Historian if you want more content, both from these podcasts and otherwise. Follow us on YouTube where we'll be dropping early next week our first non-podcast related, just standalone video where we I, Jacob Hollaball, your challenge historian, fix the challenge and pitch the perfect season of the challenge. And I mean it. I mean perfect, best season ever there could ever, ever be. We've got it. We've got it scripted out. We've got it written down. We're going to film that, record it, get it up for you early next week. So Jacob fixes the challenge. There's nothing to fix. I shouldn't say fix. Jacob makes the perfect challenge season. There we go. So follow on YouTube, Challenge Historian. Follow on Instagram, uh, where we're going to be posting a lot of content in coming days and weeks about this season, about all-stars, about old historical seasons. We're breaking down Fresh Meat 2 right now. We're in the midst of our deep dive into that season. So there's content coming on that. All kinds of stuff. Follow there. Follow here. Listen every week. Thank you so much for being here. It is an honor and a privilege to have anyone, especially you, you listening right now, listening to this recap to these podcasts. So thank you for being here so much. I will talk to you again next Tuesday for our review preview heading in to episode 11. Until then, peace.